What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Pro Football Weekly Podcast. Guys, it's the 100th episode of the Pro Football Weekly Podcast. I remember the days of its infancy when Arthur Arkish was doing a fine job hosting this show, and here we are 100 episodes later, and you have this schmuck hosting things. My name is Dan Mott, and we thank you for being with us this week. Of course, we have Pro Football Weekly Managing Editor Arthur Arkish alongside today. What's up, Arthur? I'm pretty difficult to out-schmuck, Dan, so uh, I... I We'll see if you're able, uh, if you're capable of that, but I highly doubt it. Good to be back on the show. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, also joining us is Pro Football Weekly NFL writer Eric Edholm. Eric, what's up, man? Uh, here, I was going to name myself King Schmuck, but Arthur <laughs> kind of stole my thunder a little bit. That's all right. Guys, on our last podcast, we continued our division-by-division breakdowns uh, in the NFC North, talking about the floors and ceilings of each team. This week, we are calling an audible. We're actually going to focus on the NFC West. I know our last podcast said the NFC South, but uh, we will uh, next week complete our series uh, with the NFC South just in time for teams to report to camp. Later in today's show, we'll also take a look at the NFC West win totals and get you our wagers. Guys, as we do each week, let's lead off with some headlines. And last week, uh, we had some trouble for Jameis Winston. This week, it's LaShawn McCoy uh, who's facing some troubles. It has yet to be established whether McCoy had any involvement with an alleged attack early Tuesday morning at a home he owns in an Atlanta suburb of Milton, Georgia. His former girlfriend had lived with him there, and her attorney alleges that a man broke into the home at 3 a.m. with no signs of forced entry, asked for her jewelry that McCoy had given to her, and subsequently demanded back and struck her in the face multiple times with a gun. Police have said they are investigating a home invasion, which they believe the attack was targeted. McCoy has hired a high-profile defense attorney. Uh, it's Ray Lewis's guy from the 2000 shooting, and police have not made an arrest uh, to anyone yet. McCoy issued a short statement. League and Buffalo Bills are looking into it as well. Eric, is it possible that McCoy ends up on the exempt list? Yeah, we. I mean, that's that's one possibility, and, and there are numerous, numerous ones. And obviously, as you sort of pointed out, Jumping to any kind of conclusions, you know, even by the time people listen to this, is probably going to be new information on the case. So it's just very dangerous at this point. But I'll paint it this way: if you're the Buffalo Bills, even if you know, even if McCoy had nothing to do with it, even if he is somehow a victim in this, that he was, uh, you know, staged a thing, or if there was something that was made to make him look bad that he really had no involvement in, you're still worried because this is probably your most indispensable offensive player, the one true proven playmaker. So, you know, the bills are obviously doing as much homework as they can, uh, you know, communicating with the police, with McCoy, with the league office and, you know, trying to get everything straight. So they have a clear idea whether he's going to be a part of their team entering training camp. Well, gosh, you see some of those photos and uh, they're, they're hard to look at. Arthur, if the bills come to a conclusion that there's a chance McCoy is responsible for the injuries inflicted on his former girlfriend, they could decide to part ways with McCoy. Under that scenario, they would definitely need a plan for uh, you know moving forward without him, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I would take Eric's statement a step further and say LaShawn McCoy, probably one of the most indispensable players in all of football, uh, just because of what the Bills have, not just in the backfield. I, I mean, they signed Chris Ivory, who's uh, another, you know, probably starting to decline older back, uh, not someone you want to have carrying the mail full time. Uh, but the receivers are awful. The quarterbacks are young. Their offensive line has been completely uh, blown apart. So uh, I don't need to tell our listeners about the drop-off from LaShawn McCoy to Chris Ivory, nor do I have to tell them you know, just how good LaShawn McCoy is on the football field. But he's also going to be 30 years old this year, and it seems to me like Buffalo is kind of resigned maybe to taking a little bit of a step back this season. I don't want to call it a rebuilding year, but uh, could see Josh Allen in the fold. I just talked about all the turnover elsewhere. So, um, yeah, this is going to be one we'll just have to continue monitoring uh but but not a good look as you said really difficult uh, allegations and, and graphic images to look at absolutely well guys also in in uh, our headlines jacksonville jaguars defensive tackle marcel darius is being sued for damages by a woman who alleges he assaulted her and gave her an std according to the florida times union darius is the defendant in another lawsuit filed in december in which a las vegas woman says she was sexually assaulted in january 2017 following a party darius attended in tampa Florida. Who wants to comment on this one first? I mean, I really have no words here, Eric. Yeah, this is, you know, this is a a civil suit and this is separate from, you know, the woman uh, who who said she met Darius back in, I guess it was uh, early 2017. I'm forgetting exactly the timeline on that, but this is a separate suit from the alleged incident that that occurred in, in Tampa. So now he's got, you know, Two things going on at once here, both of serious nature, both of kind of a a sexual nature here, too. And and if you look at, you know, this case, obviously, it may depend on what happens with the first case before the NFL decides to jump in discipline wise. But, you know, this is a player the Jaguars traded for last season, took on a hefty salary to do so. He helped immediately provide uh, good run support for uh, you know, an upgrade up front. Now one of the most dominant defensive lines in, in, in the NFL. They also drafted a tackle in round one in Taven Bryant, too. And, and I think if, if you know, th- there were some some truth to these allegations, in either case, if the Jaguars learn something here, you know, they're not the same player. But, you know, maybe a little bit more of a picture why they drafted Bryant in round one as some insurance. Again, different different styles of player completely, but – um, it would make more sense, I think, and obviously you'd sit there and say, well, it'd be a tough loss, one that, that is the former number three pick in the draft, obviously has a history with Doug Maroney, had him up Buffalo, has him now in Jacksonville, and again, we have to sort of see how it all plays out, but uh, yeah, another disturbing, uh, this is sort of what we get in the offseason, a lot of these things get, get kind of pushed into the high profile, and we have to sort of wait to find out what happens with them. Yeah, you know, we just have to wait and, and hear what happens. But I think Eric definitely hit the nail on the head in saying just to, as it relates to the Jaguars and, and what could potentially happen. And Marcel Darius has been in trouble before for off-field transgressions, has been suspended by the league for substance abuse, has been in rehab. Remember, Buffalo signed him to that massive deal that he was unable to live up to uh, as he was kind of not able to stay on the straight and narrow. But uh, just that Jacksonville is so deep and, and, and maybe that affects their handling or their decision-making process here. Uh, resigned a Avery Jones as well, remember, 
uh, it's as good of a defensive line as there is in football. So it's really the the complete opposite of what Buffalo uh, could be facing with LaShawn McCoy. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Darius did have a really profound effect on that run defense last year uh, after the Jaguars a trade uh, acquired him in a trade uh, in the fall. Guys, let's talk some good news and get a recap on the exciting supplemental draft that took place this week. I mean, I know we said that there wasn't a whole lot to talk about uh, as far as excitement goes, uh, but but Eric Sambeal heads to the Giants in round three. Were you expecting that? Yeah, you know, they were they were a little lower on my list. I didn't think about it at first, but the more I've sort of thought about it, he fits exactly the kind of defender they need in that defense. James Betcher, new defensive coordinator, coming from Arizona. Think about the guys they had out there. Patrick Peterson, Brandon Williams, more of the the outside guys who are the longer builds who can be press corners. And, you know, this this may generate a little excitement for, for, for Giants fans. Is oh, hey, like a free player. You know, we're, we're spending our third-round pick early. This is a good deal. I would caution that, obviously, the Giants have some, some pretty good talent at that position, assuming – you know, Janoris Jenkins, nothing, you know, happens discipline-wise with him. He's back to the same player he was before last season. Eli Apple, you know, fills his potential, former first-round pick, that sort of thing. Beal would probably spend most of the season as a fourth corner, as a depth guy, you know, break glass in case of emergency, play on special teams, that whole thing, uh, and really fulfill, you know, hopes maybe in 2019, but good little project player who could have been maybe a second round pick had he stayed in school another year. So yeah, it makes some sense. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know what the immediate returns are going to be, but I do think this is an interesting player who could uh, grow into be a nice little playmaker and interesting too, that, I mean, Dave Gettleman, the GM is going through cancer treatment right now. And then, you know, he puts some trust in his scouting staff to, to do some of the legwork on Beal and to, to kind of help make the decision. And Gettleman goes into the office for a day Tells the league we want to put a third round claim for him. They had the third pick in the uh, in the draft by the way the lottery system went, and they got uh, Sam Beal as an interesting little prospect. Arthur, we also saw Adonis Alexander uh, go to Washington in round six. Uh, how does this help their roster? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know that they're going to ask uh, for much of him for this season. We, we kind of mentioned that in recent weeks about the supplemental draft. These guys are going to be playing catch up, but uh, it speaks to the turnover in that secondary. Obviously, uh, you know, you, you trade Kendall Fuller, you, you don't re-sign Bashad Breeland, uh, Josh Norman, Orlando Skandrick. These guys aren't getting any younger. They've got another sort of jar on the shelf in Fabian Moreau. So uh, Adonis Alexander, he looks the part. I mean, I think we've said that on the podcast already, all kinds of length and uh, enough athleticism for the position for sure. So uh, just someone that I think they're going to kind of develop and uh, and try and groom at their own pace. And uh, it was our guy, Eric, who had the astute point. Washington keeps rating uh, that it's uh, Virginia Tech. Excuse me, yeah. they're covered. Uh, so I don't know who they know if Eric has been able to dig and find out exactly what the connection is there. Uh, but clearly Washington feels very comfortable uh, with the type of coaching, with the type of intel they're able to get, Eric, on these Virginia Tech kids. Yeah, I'll tell you who it is. It's Torian Gray, their defensive backs coach, who, who's, uh, you know, he's about my age, a little older, and he played at Tech under Brad Bud Foster as a defensive back. Uh, then he went back later to coach at Tech, and he'd been gone a few years. But I believe, I think he was at least involved, if not coaching, and certainly in recruiting all the, the, the defensive backs and defensive players that the Redskins, you know, have taken out of B-Tech the last couple of years, including Fuller, um, you know, including Greg Stroman in round seven this year. And now Alexander, they also got Tim Settle, a defensive tackle. So 
you have to think Torian Gray, who has a good relationship with, uh, you know, he's the Redskins D-back coach now, has a great relationship with Foster, goes back 20-plus years with him. You know, is part of that pipeline, I would think. Guys, finally, in our headlines, ex-Bengals cornerback Pac-Man Jones attacked by an employee at an airport. Police say Jones was attacked during a run-in with a facility service employee at the airport in Atlanta. Arthur, why would this employee be dumb enough to take a swing at an NFL player? <laughs> I, I don't know. If, not just any NFL player, one that we know uh, knows a thing or two about fisticuffs and, and Jones. So uh, I, I'm guessing our our listeners have seen the video by now. It's pretty clear. And, and this uh, airport employee was arrested and Pac-Man uh, wasn't, uh, isn't facing any legal uh, issues to this incident specifically that I'm aware of. So uh, I have no idea what was going through that dude's head. Not only did he get arrested, I'm sure he's going to be fired if he wasn't already, but uh uh, I think more to the point, obviously, is how the NFL handles this. It, it looks to me like it was just self-defense. Again, the cops didn't uh, arrest Pac-Man. So in this instance, and I won't find myself st- uh, you know, standing up for Pac-Man very often with his long checkered past, but uh, Eric, you, you'd think probably, and he's a free agent, so he's got to get signed first, but uh, I wouldn't think anyway, and it's dangerous to, to try and guess on this when it comes to the NFL, uh, that Jones is going to be subject to discipline. You guys ever been in that airport, man? That that place is a headache. You know, I I think if I was spending uh, 40 hours a week in that place, no, I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, as you said, all indications are from this video that has surfaced. You get a pretty good view of what looks to be this man kind of goading uh, Pac-Man into a fight. And, you know, should Pac-Man maybe have stood down or, or tried to, you know, defuse the situation? Yeah. for for Especially for a guy who's had, you know, a history of some of this stuff and then, you know, I was looking for a job. So, I mean, there was, I was told before the draft that the Bengals might keep the door open on, on bringing him back. I'm getting the feeling that's probably not the case anymore. I mean, they didn't exactly stock up in, in the secondary in the draft, but, you know, I think they have enough warm bodies there behind some of their, their talent. It's the front line guys like William Jackson, Dre, uh, Kirkpatrick and such that, Probably isn't coming back, but you never know. I mean, there's there's still teams who could use, you know, valuable defensive backs. Will this hurt his ability to get signed? Probably not, but it may just be a reminder of, of some of the uh, the things, you know, the, the trouble that seems to kind of follow him around his career. Well, guys, let's get into our main segment today as we continue our division by division breakdown and talk about some of the potential for each team and where they might need improvements. And this week, we are focusing in the NFC West, uh, starting with the Arizona Cardinals. It appears we have a quarterback race between Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen. Arthur, who comes out on top in this one? My understanding was that Sam Bradford has already fallen in the race. He has injured himself. So this is oh, no, I'm just, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a little too easy. I'm, I'm totally joking, but I think uh, uh, it's pretty fair to say that Sam Bradford's uh, injury history sort of precedes him and is likely to pop up again this year. Uh, all that being said, the Cardinals are paying him very good money. I believe it's a largely incentive-laden deal, but he can earn, I think, close to $20 million bucks on it uh, if he does reach those incentives. So, uh, look. Last season, you only got to go back to week one last year. In my opinion, Sam Bradford dicing up the Saints in week one last season, still one of the best quarterback performances of the whole year. Uh, At what point he injured his knee and then wasn't himself and only played about another half of football the rest of the season, we're not sure. Uh, But that was enough for me to know this isn't a talent thing. It's simply a durability thing. Uh, So, Eric, I think the question probably quickly becomes, can they protect Sam Bradford? And and is this a a season where the Cardinals are truly believing they can compete? Or are they trying to kind of, I don't know whether they're rebuilding on the fly, whether they're reloading. 
Uh, but they need to be incentivized to throw Josh Rosen in there. And, and I'd have to think it does. It will take a Sam Bradford injury for that to happen. Yeah, a good point about the protection and everybody else around. And I know we'll get into the receivers and David Johnson and those guys, and that's all part of it. Obviously, you know, big picture, there's three factors here. Is, is Bradford healthy and playing well? Is Josh Rosen, you know, up to speed and ready to step in if need be? And then, you know, what's the course of this team? I mean, you look at their schedule early on, some tough games, you know, especially on the road. They play some good quarterbacks this season, so they're going to need that position to be productive, keep them, you know, possibly in a couple of high-scoring games. I think it's a good defense, but still, I mean, you can see them in some some games in the high 20s or low 30s at some point. So, you know, if they're 2-6 and six at the bye, I mean – you know, are, are you really gaining anything from having Sam Bradford on a one-year deal, holding back Josh Rosen? I don't know. Could he even – could Rosen win his job before then? Possibly. But I think, as you pointed out, a lot of it has to do with Bradford's health. And I thought that Arthur was bringing us some breaking news on, on Bradford right oh, after our, our headline segment. I was like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> get, Arthur. It was just low-hanging fruit, and I can never resist that. So I'm sorry, Sam Bradford and Sam Bradford enthusiasts. My fault. <laughs> Eric, could this be uh, Larry Fitzgerald's last hurrah? i got to believe that he hangs them up after this season. I mean, will the Cardinals be setting up Christian Kirk and other young pass catchers like Ricky Seals-Jones or Chad Williams to be the next? man up if Fitzgerald calls it quits I still think there's a better chance than not that this is his final season but you keep hearing these these whispers these rumors you know might he be open to going to a contender possibly even at the trade deadline I, you know as a chance to win a ring yeah like get the Ray Bork treatment where you get you know nobody wants to see him go but they'd love to see Fitz obviously go get a Super Bowl ring he you know he's one of the best players in this era never to win one that sort of thing Sure. Yeah. And could he play in 19? Yeah. I mean, he's, he was so good last season. So effective. Great out of the slot. He kind of changed positions last year and worked inside a lot more and was so effective at it. And, you know, we'll see how he and Kirk work together. Does does Chad Williams, as you mentioned, offer much on the outside? Is he going to develop in year two? You know, Seals Jones was great for a handful of games last season. Is he, you know, a legitimate threat at tight end? So, you know, Johnson obviously could catch a lot of balls, too, out of the backfield. So, you know, there, there's opportunities there to, to kind of hand off the baton. I don't think they're in terrible shape, but clearly, you know, he, he remains one of their best players, and, and it would be tough to see him kind of go out this way if they're, you know, 8-8 eight and eight like they were last year or not, you know, out of the playoff picture if he doesn't get that one last chance to kind of make a run of glory. And Arthur, David Johnson is returning uh, after suffering a season-ending injury in 2017. Can he come back and live up to those expectations from his first and second seasons? He says he wants to run for 1,000 yards and catch 1,000 passes. What are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, and catch for a thousand receiving yards, of course. He catches a lot of passes. I don't think it's going to be quite that many, but uh, look, he was close. He was at 879 in 2016, along with the 1239 rushing. So um, I-, I think that the expectations are obviously so high because he had such a transcendent start uh, to his career and second season in particular. I think Arizona probably uh, feels fortunate that if he was going to have that season-ending injury all the way in week one last year, that it happened to his wrist and not his Achilles or his knee that's going to zap his explosion. Uh, He will, you know, he has had some fumbling issues, some minor ones in the NFL. So we'll have to keep a little closer eye on that. Uh, with the wrist and whatnot, but you'd always, you always hope it's not a lower body thing. So uh, yeah, I think Johnson's going to be 
terrific this season. I, I, barring health, obviously, I think he's going to be just fine. Uh, and I like the mix between he and Fitzgerald to kind of work the intermediate, the short areas of the field. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can do deep. But uh, yeah, if you're a fantasy football owner, uh, you're going to want to be looking very early in the top of round one at David Johnson. I think you'll feel pretty happy on your return and investment there. Eric, on the defensive side of the ball, how good is this defense without Tyron Matthew, but but with Chandler Jones, uh, Patrick Peterson, Buda Baker, and Hassan Reddick? Yeah, I mean, you know, the core is there for one of the best starting 11s in football. Maybe not, you know, top three, but certainly top 10, I think. I think if, if, if injuries really hit hard, that's a problem. Peterson's been a, an iron man. He's played every game in his career, I believe. You know, Hassan Reddick showed little flashes last year where you thought, okay, Maybe he is that that dynamic playmaker from the inside linebacker spot. It's a little different. I know he's kind of playing a little bit of a different role in this defense. Now Steve Wilkes comes in. They're not playing a, a straight 3-4 anymore. This is going to be more, you know, where he's kind of an off-the-ball linebacker and can play in multiple spots. Jones has been, you know, he's really underrated in a lot of ways. This, you know, kind of the one of the great sackers of his time. And Baker is exciting, but after them, I start looking down the depth chart. I see a lot of unproven guys, you know, day three draft picks, undrafted guys. Robert Kimdiche hasn't stepped up yet. You know, we haven't seen the best out of him. There's still a few spots where you say, especially maybe defensive tackle, uh, that worries me a little bit. I think Dayon Buchanan has actually regressed a little. He's not quite the player we hyped him up to be a couple years ago. So, it's a good starting unit. The depth concerns me a little bit. I don't think Matthew's loss will be massive if Baker plays well. So this is a good group, but I still have my questions, I guess. Well, guys, let's move on to the Seattle Seahawks. Arthur, have we ever seen an offseason exodus quite like this? Sherman, Bennett, Chancellor, Sheldon, Richardson, Jimmy Graham, and others all gone. I know we've chatted in our headlines the past few weeks about some of these exits. These are clearly going to be uh, challenges the Seahawks have to overcome. Can they do it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there have been, you know, there have been instances of turnover to this degree, but man, none of them come immediately to mind and none of them come to mind as targeted as the Legion of Boom, if you will. You're you're likely, you're possibly going to have all four members missing now, depending on the uh, conclusion of this Earl Thomas contract holdout, but then... You know, so the secondary is looking completely new. And then you look at kind of the guys who stir things up up front and Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. So uh, you just wonder, there's still defensive talent uh, here for sure. I mean, you still might have the best linebacking pair in football. You got some former first-round reclamation projects. You think you might be able to get uh, decent mileage from. You got Frank Clark. He's been talented. But uh, I don't know if any coach, even someone as good as Pete Carroll, uh, would be able to kind of you know endure a major drop off with this type of turnover, and then we throw in the fact that Carroll curiously made the decision to swap out Chris Richard with Ken Norton Jr. Uh, and and I don't know what to think at all about this unit. What I think about this team is that it's now more than ever Russell Wilson's, and, and that's crazy to think about because they've already asked so much of him the past couple of years, Dan. Eric, how much pressure does this actually put on Russell Wilson to be great in every game? Yeah, I mean, I thought they put so much pressure on him last year when a lot of those guys you mentioned were still around, where they were sort of hoping that that Russell could could win games for him. And he did. I mean, he beat the Eagles last year. You know, I mean, really kind of, you know, uh, befuddled them a little bit, had some brilliant games. And they also got 
housed at home by the LA Rams. So, I mean, there, there's, there's days when it's going to work and days when it's not. And so with a lesser roster, with a younger roster, with the unknown status of Earl Thomas still kind of hanging in the air, is he going to be a Seahawk or not? Nobody really knows. That just puts so much on Russell's shoulders. You know, for a guy who's already taken a ton of hits, playing behind a suspect offensive line, one that if it's better this year, I don't think it's going to be better by leaps and bounds. And oh, by the way, two running backs behind him with limited NFL experience, you know, other than, than Doug Baldwin, who are the, 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 you know, the clear options on third down? I don't really know what they've got at tight end that makes you feel good. I don't know if Tyler Lockett's going to bounce back. Brandon Marshall, you know, I mean, it, it's just so much to ask out of him, and there is a breaking point. He will get hurt at some point, and, and it just worries me that they're asking him to do too much. Arthur in the backfield, has their run game improved with Chris Carson healthy and first-rounder Rashad Penny in? Well, I mean, the talent has been upgraded for sure. I love Rashad Penny. I, I think he's got a chance to be a really good NFL back and a guy who can do it on all three downs uh, if he proves that he can protect Russell Wilson. But, uh, I mean, not to be a broken record here, guys, but, I mean, for how many years have we not been able to have the run game conversation without mentioning the offensive line? And when are these guys going to uh, start to improve? It's not been for a lack of drafting at the position, whether you're talking about Ethan Posick, or, or Jermaine Effetti. I mean, they have spent picks here. Uh, Justin Britt, a few, you know, another year earlier back, a, a day two pick. So, uh, but they just have not been able to, to coach these guys up. And, and speaking of the, the coaching changes, now Tom Cable is out. Uh, Eric, who do they have coaching the offensive line? I'm not even sure off the top of my head. I'm blanking right now. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll check on it. I'll yeah. check on it. But I, I just. So I don't know. I, I mean, it, it seems like a lot to ask. Again, I really like Rashad Penny and, and anyone who didn't like what Chris Carson did as a seventh rounder who tore it up in the preseason and beat out Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls and whoever else before the broken foot, they weren't watching. So the talent in the backfield is not the question. It's just, are they finally going to have the lanes they need? And then you just talked about all the issues in the passing game. I don't believe Brandon Marshall is going to be an answer here. And, uh, you know, I wish I believed Tyler Lockett could stay healthy, but I don't think that's the case either. So uh, is Russell Wilson going to be throwing to himself this year too? I mean, it kind of all remains to be seen. No, that's a good idea. Maybe have that play in the playbook there. I think that I, I could actually <laughs> help things out. But, um, yeah, I mean, Mike Solari, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, so he's a veteran Thank coach you. who's been around the league a while. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just <sighs> – Brian Schottenheimer has come in now as the new play caller, another questionable, you know, uh, assistant coaching move they made this offseason, saying we are going to run the football. We're going to be old school. We're going to slobber knocker people to death. And I just don't know if that affords them the creativity and the misdirection, the kind of stuff that you, you, you tend to have to do when you don't have a dominant offensive line. So they're almost sort of flying in the face of, I don't want to say convention, because that's probably the wrong word, but you know, kind of the commonly held belief that if you don't have those maulers up front, why would you even try to do that? Unless you're just going heavy with tight ends and, you know, extra bodies on, on the field. It's a mystery to me what they're going to look like, how good they're going to be. I don't want to, you know, overlook this team, but, you know, it smells like seven and nine until further notice. I don't know. I just don't, I don't know what to think. 
Slobber knocker, Eric. Come on, man. iTunes has got this rated as a clean podcast. So you, That's a clean word. <laughs> I just... Yeah, right. <laughs> Guys, we're going to take a quick break, but when we uh, when we come back, uh, we, we have plenty more ahead in, around the NFC West. We'll take a look at Garoppolo's big contract in San Francisco. Plus, could this year's NFL super team be the LA Rams? We'll have that and more coming up. Welcome back, everyone. We are continuing our division-by-division breakdowns and talking about some of the potential for each team and where they might need improvements, focusing this week on the NFC West. And we move now to the San Francisco 49ers. Eric, Jimmy Garoppolo got a big contract, and now this is his team with Kyle Shanahan. How good can this pairing be? Yeah, I mean, and he gets tested right away, too. I mean, tough defense week one in the Vikings. You know, Lions team that was competitive in week two. Kansas City Chiefs, Arrowhead, a tough to play, and then at the Chargers. I mean, that's three of the first four on the road. You know, three of the four teams we just mentioned would probably have, you know, if not very good defenses, uh, solid ones in the Lions. So, yeah, it's a big test. He goes up against Aaron Rodgers later in the year. You know, they, they've got some tough road game. They finish at the Rams. they got to go, obviously, to Seattle in the division game there. So, yeah, I mean – the expectations have been set so high. Number one, because of the way he played. Number two, because of the contract. I think we have to just sort of, you know, let, let's take a tiny step back from where we're at. Whatever we and I drafted the guy in fantasy. I like him. I like Jimmy Garoppolo a lot. I think he can be very, very good with Kyle Shanahan as they keep building this offense up. But you know, I mean. You still have a lot of questions. I think in terms of who's the number one receiver. How do you get them the ball? Uh, are these tight ends that good? Is the run game going to be that good? Is the offensive line fully erected as we you know, expect it could be soon? I, I don't know. I, I, I love the pairing, and I think the potential sky high. I don't think we're going to see fireworks right out of the chute and expect this guy to be you know, the second coming of Joe Montana. Well, and Arthur, I, I mean, are there enough offensive weapons? They add Jared, uh, Jarek McKinnon. They get Garcon back from injury. A few intriguing tight ends. Can we expect a rise with this offense? I'm going to take it a step forward. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is ever going to lose a football game, ever. 7-0, and right? Is that what he is? <laughs> He's undefeated as a starter. Uh, you know, And, of course, we've talked about the expectations because of the contract, because of the way he finished last season. At least he doesn't have to worry about another 49ers coach-quarterback tandem that worked out pretty well in the past, right? It's not like this franchise has done it before. Right. Uh, but, no, I, I'm very excited about I love Kyle Shanahan, and I do like Jimmy Garoppolo a lot. I think this should be pretty much a perfect fit. Uh, all that being said, I do think we should slow down a little bit for some of the reasons you just alluded to. Pierre Garcon isn't getting any younger, had the serious neck injury last year. I like Dante Pettis, the kid they traded up for in round two, but he doesn't profile it as a future number one. Neither is Marquise Goodwin, as great of a story as he was last year and as great of a year as he had. Um, so we'll see. You know, I, I like George Kittle at the tight end position. They've got uh, some decent depth there. I like Jarek McKinnon as kind of that uh, change-up option. I don't know yet if he's going to be their full-time dude. Um, but there should be some flexibility, certainly more uh, than Shanahan needs to, to make some pretty sweet music. I just, uh, uh, again, there, there's bound to be a, a step back here. Garoppolo is going to lose eventually. Eric, let's talk 49er defense. This is Sherman's new team. What can he add to the mix in addition to the character? Yeah, well, he fits the profile of what they're looking for in a corner, right? I mean, obviously, just in terms of 
kind of like we were saying with, with Sam Beal, you know, the, the long physical press corner, Robert Sala is, you know, running. He was the Seattle coach. You know, he's running this Seattle-style defense now. So, you know, it's a young group. Jaquiski Tart is one of the, the veteran guys. He and Jimmy Ward, I think, were drafted the same year or maybe close to each other. You know, we're talking about second, third, fourth-year guys populating this group. And here Sherman, the veteran, can kind of come in and bring it all together. I think it's, you know, you had players who played pretty well last year, like, you know, Akello Witherspoon, I didn't, I don't know, he, he intrigued me coming out of college, but I didn't know what he was. I thought he was a high pick in the third round. He has some promise. He looked play, pretty good last year. You know, uh, the seventh rounder, I'm blanking on his name, uh, uh, Adrian Colbert, the safety, another guy. He kind of pushed out Eric Reed out of that starting role in the back end. I mean, it was just, they found some interesting pieces. Now, how do they all work together? And is Sherman healthy? He's coming off the Achilles. And so the expectations are high for him. I don't know that we're going to see a six-pick or a seven-pick season, you know, classic vintage Pro Bowl-level play from him back in 12, 13, 14, those years. But still, if Sherman comes in, provides that leadership, holds down, you know, the left side of the, of the field like he's done pretty well these past years, even if he's been a little banged up, to me, that's a great addition. Anytime you can steal from a, from a division rival and, you know, get somebody to help implement the scheme and, and teach those young DBs, that's a win-win for me. Arthur, how will this young defense and strong defensive line hold up early while missing Reuben Foster for the first two games? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think they should be okay. I think they made a pretty good draft pick uh, there in Fred Warner. He's going to have a chance to help out uh, in the middle in Reuben Foster's absence. And I'm guessing I don't have this, uh, you know, I haven't talked to anyone inside the building, but I have to think San Francisco feels very grateful uh, that Reuben Foster is only going to be suspended for a couple weeks mm-hmm. after the turn offseason uh, that he had. So, and what's the best way to kind of cover those guys up, especially if you have a big drop-off? Well, how about three first-rounders up front, of course, in DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, and Eric Armstead. So, the talent is undeniable. I think DeForest Buckner has already started to show it a little bit. Uh, I'll throw it back to you guys and Eric. Solomon Thomas is the, is the third overall pick last year. Uh, probably a little disappointing, right? I, I don't have his numbers in front of me, but I don't feel like he was uh, you know, jumping off the screen on a week-in, week-out basis. So I know they're expecting a big jump from him. Uh, and then Eric Armstead has been shuffled in and out of different schemes. So I, I have to wonder uh, whether the Niners are wondering a little bit on this on the fit for him there at this point, uh, a holdover going back to the Trent Balky days, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I think the worry, the, you know, I talked to somebody out there late last season and kind of asked something about Solomon Thomas, how he was progressing. And, and there was no concern because, you know, he was a redshirt sophomore, I believe. He was, I think, 20 years old at the start of the season. Very young very smart. I don't think they were sitting there thinking, you know, he's going to come in and play a Pro Bowl level. They just felt like, wow, he had tremendous upside. And he ended up playing a lot of snaps. As you said, Buckner's the guy. I mean, he's been really good. I don't know that he's, you know, his stats haven't reflected, I don't think, the impact he's had. He's been a very, very tough-to-block player. So I love DeForest Buckner. I still think Solomon Thomas can be very good. But as you pointed out, Armstead's been disappointing. I mean, he hasn't been able to stay on the field and stay healthy. You know, he's kind of that unusual build. He doesn't have maybe the the suddenness and the explosiveness of a Calais Campbell, that type. That's kind of what they I think they thought they had in him. I'm not sure he's that guy. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's at some point deemed to be the odd man out where, okay, you know, we just we haven't found the right role for him. He'd be a better fit on another team. They could trade him for something. This is just me speculating, but yeah, I think of the, of the three guys you mentioned, he's the one who 
I'm the, uh, the most leery about is in terms of, you know, maybe breaking out eventually. And finally, we move on to the Los Angeles Rams. Eric, could the LA Rams be considered this year's super team after adding Marcus Peters, Damakong Sue, Brandon Cooks, and Akib, uh, and Akib Talib? Yeah, they could, you know. I mean, this is not the NBA, obviously. You know, it's a totally different animal with a 53-man roster, you know, 22 starters and that whole bit. It's it's not the same as adding a LeBron James, but, you know, it obviously is was the, the team that made the most risks, that had the most we're-going-forward approach in terms of building their roster. And yet, and I'm sure we'll get to this at some point, Aaron Donald remains on side. I mean, there's th- this to me – it's not, you know, it's not like the Philadelphia Eagles in, what was it, 2010 or 11, whatever their year was, when they were, you know, signing all these big-name free agents, and Vince Young comes in as the backup QB and says, we're, you know, we're a dream team, you know, and that just <laughs> that became the unfortunate nickname that stuck with them because they weren't very good. But um, a little different. You know, obviously, they, they were good last year. They, they built a nice foundation. They had, they had something going. Offensively, super creative and explosive defensively the makings of a very good unit you know they obviously swapped out a few parts with Watkins and Cooks there and you know maybe that's uh, takes a little time to develop but they if they can withstand any kind of injuries and get Donald re-signed and happy they have the look of a very very good roster Arthur is Jared Goff a Super Bowl caliber QB especially with everything he has around him now well, he's got a lot of a lot better pedigree than Nick Foles. I know that. So uh, I, I mention it only because I think we're learning that uh, with the right play caller, with the right defense, with the right supporting cast, yes, the quarterback position still rules, um, but you can help these guys out quite a bit. And Jared Goff has been helped out immensely. Uh, so, yes, when you take that type of a, a big jump in year two and uh, you got everyone coming back and, and you have the type of continuity that Goff is going to enjoy – uh, no reason in my mind to think that he's going to be uh, sort of this team's detriment to reaching their ultimate goal. Uh, but I will just follow up because I don't know if we're going to go back there or not. Uh, we'll see. I-, I love the aggression of Les Snead, just like I love the aggression of Howie Roseman and Bill Belichick and all these teams that want to go for it. Um, but if they don't get something done with Aaron Donald, then shame on the Rams for not having the foresight to realize uh, that this was going to get ugly when, when you're, you're going and finding all the other team stars and not taking care of your own. I, I assume that they'll get it done, uh, but it's, I, it seems like an awful lot of crickets on that front. And uh, until we hear otherwise, I'm not really willing to, to go all in on these Rams. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned Aaron, Aaron Donald. Uh, Eric, what is the latest on Aaron Donald, and, and will we see him at training camp? I mean, this is nothing new, and we, we saw this last year, but McVay said the star. Lyman was in a good place mentally as Donald had spent some time training in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the latest is you got me. I really don't know. And obviously the kind of the way he handled it last season and you know coming back right on the verge of the, the regular season – ended up kind of costing him in terms of his flexibility and his leverage. You know, he's, he can start losing money this year uh, and losing time that would uh, credit him towards being an unrestricted free agent. But, yeah, I mean, this is this is something that, that I think the Rams, you know, may have kind of overplayed that hand a little bit and, and figuring, hey, let's go get all these other reinforcements and maybe that'll help convince him to come on board. But, you know, paying Sue on the big one-year deal, getting Tlaib, et cetera, you know, extending other people, uh, you know, that, that obviously didn't sit well with him as this thing has kind of gone on more than a year now. So if they don't have Aaron Donald, I don't believe they have a pass rush. I just don't really believe that 
anybody on this ride, and again, that includes Sue. I, and as good as he can be in certain games, he'll have a two-sack game at some point. I just don't know if they have enough sources of pressure on this defense. And, you know, they got to pay Marcus Peters long-term. There's just a lot going on here. They paid, you know, Mark Barron the big extension. He might have to be cut in a year or redone in a year. So, uh, yeah, a lot of big financial questions. If, if they're anything less than 10 and 6 or in the playoffs or something like that, and, and they haven't figured out Donald long-term, there, those people will turn on less need very quickly, I think, for good reason, too. Arthur, as we wrap up our breakdown of the, of the Rams, are there any other weaknesses that stand out with this team? I think just depth overall. When you, when you have a roster as star-laden as their own, and when you turn this thing around so quickly, you're uh, you're bound to have some uh, concerns. And I think they're on the bottom of the roster, and I think we're going to find out about them early in the season. Uh, the linebacker position, you trade Alec Ogletree. Uh, Eric just mentioned Mark Barron. Uh, you know, that they paid him a bunch. Uh, is he a great player? I'm not so sure that the Rams run defense wasn't great last year. So uh, weeks three and four, what is it? Weeks two and three, they get the Cardinals and the Chargers. Uh, you better have some linebackers who can cover David Johnson and Melvin Gordon, both on the ground and through the air. Uh, and then offensive line too. Jamon Brown's going to be suspended to start the season. Uh, I like what they've done to, to build up a, a front wall, a starting five. Uh, I have no idea what they have behind them. So uh uh, a team that I think stayed relatively healthy last year, too. If attrition strikes a little bit uh, more this season, that'll certainly be a question they have to answer. One more thing. Uh, sorry to be long-winded here. Sean McVay, reigning coach of the year. Love him. Can he handle all these personalities? You put a lot on his plate by bringing in Marcus Peters and Ndamukong Su. Uh, these are guys who march to the beat of their own drummer. Uh, how will the youngest coach in football respond to that? That's a great question, you know, Arthur. And, and the other thing is, too, with that offensive line, you know, Andrew Whitworth was great during the regular season. I, I was watching that playoff game the other day, working on something else on the side. Andrew Whitworth had probably his worst game. He seemed to get a little a little tired down the stretch. We know how old he is. He's 37 years old. Roger okay. Saffold just turned 30. Jamon Brown, probably maybe the weak link of that group. But that means you're starting maybe a rookie the first two games. Brian Allen, Joseph, no boom, somebody like that. So uh, they drafted another kid, Denby, in round six. Uh, you know, John Sullivan, an old 33, he's had back uh, issues. So I don't know. That that unit is the one that I'm sort of quietly holding my breath on. I, I could see them having an injury or two really kind of derail things there. Well, let's remind our listeners, if you've not checked them out already, we have our division-by-division division off-season breakdowns on all eight divisions now up at ProFootballWeekly.com. So you'll want to check those out before training camps uh, begin next week. Guys, as we've been doing uh, for each of these divisions, let's look at some of the NFC uh, West win totals and get some over-unders going here are some of these uh, uh, projections. Uh, we have the Cardinals projected at five and a half wins. I'm going to take the over here and say that the Cardinals can win at least six. I don't think that there are a whole lot of expectations for this team this year. Uh, we'll start with you, Eric. Yeah, I. you know, it's funny. I, I was a little surprised the number was that low. But then you start looking at their schedule and you say, man, I mean, the first half is pretty darn tough. And, they, you know, if you get a big hole early – it's hard to pull yourself out. Not everybody does what the, the 49ers did last year and start with a brutal record and end up being pretty respectable by season's end. So, you know, could that same thing play out? Yeah, and they got to 6-10. and 10. So I'll give it a very soft over. I think they're going to maybe take a step back. First-year head coach is Steve Wilkes, quarterback, you know, situation to figure out, a couple personnel losses. So 
you know, six and 10 sort of feels like the record for me, but they were eight, eight and they were competitive last year. And, and outside of two or three games, they just look terrible. Long-term, Dan, I, I have my concerns that maybe Arizona didn't uh, choose the wrong guy. I like Steve Wilkes, but I really like James Betcher a lot. That was Bruce Arians' uh, recommendation. But in the short term, I'm with Eric. That number sounds too low. Uh, there's a lot of talent on this roster. I think the scheme changes will be bumpy, uh, but not so bumpy that they can't get to at least six or seven wins. Guys, the Rams are projected with nine and a half wins. We called them a potential super team in our breakdown, but as you guys alluded to in that gambling guide series on profootballweekly.com, perhaps we have to pump the brakes here. However, I'm still taking the over um, and thinking that they will probably top the NFC West with perhaps 10 wins. Uh, Arthur, we'll start with you. Yeah, I got to go over. I mean, we talked about all the the, the serious talent that they've added. Uh, again, if Aaron Donald isn't a part of this thing, I reserve the right to change my mind. But uh, they were 11-5 and five last season and pretty much built a, a new Pro Bowl roster. So uh, I'm definitely going over on this. But uh, I, I, I'm not, I don't think they'll go way over their total because I think they will take a little bit of a step back. Yeah, they, they really... <laughs> They're a tough one to figure out, too. I, 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 at its peak, this team has the potential to go all the way or at least reach the Super Bowl and, and be one of those type of teams. But the bottom is, is maybe a tiny bit lower than, than some people are, are saying. So I'll, I'll go over, I guess. But, yeah, I also don't know if it's going to be – you know, they won 11 games last year, and it wasn't smoke and mirrors. The numbers back it up, and, you know, they, they lost a couple of tough ones to really good teams, that sort of thing. So it wasn't – I don't want to make it seem like – this is just the natural progression, but, you know, without Donald there, with a lot of things up in the air, the character things you mentioned, I could still see, a, you know, a, a barely surpassing that total. The 49ers are projected with eight and a half wins, and I'm thinking that the Niners actually cover here and, and win eight. Um, I, I, I know that there's a lot of hype, uh, especially with Garoppolo. Uh, Eric, where are you with, with this team? Eight and a half, you said? Yeah, eight and a half. I'm tempted to go under, and, and I, I like this team a lot, and for all the reasons we pointed out earlier, I really do. I think it's a still very much a work in progress, though. I think we've kind of vaulted up some of their skill position talent unfairly. It's, it's you know, and Garoppolo made some of these nobodies look really good last year. I mean, you can't, you can't overlook that, but I don't know. I, I, I'm still a little bit suspicious of, of them being a true contender this year, and I wouldn't be shocked by an 8-8 eight and eight record. I think that's a, a fair sort of projection for them, so I'll go under. Why not? I, I always feel like I go over on about <laughs> 78% of these, so going to take the under to kind of bring that percentage down a little bit. I don't think they're a true contender yet, guys, but I don't think that nine and seven in the NFC makes them that. So I'm going over. I think they're a nine and seven team. I think they're going to be really dangerous on offense. And I think the way that young defense is constructed, it's likely to be better late in the season than it is uh, out of the gate, which will help them finish strong once again uh, and push for a potential wild card. I guess I'm saying they're sort of a contender, uh, not ready to anoint them the way others are, but I can see a, a path to nine wins for sure. And Arthur, the Seahawks are projected with eight wins. I think when it comes to this current Seahawks team, you have to take the under here. I don't know where they end up with wins, but I'm sure it'll be less than eight. What are your thoughts? I think if Pete Carroll goes eight and eight with this club, maybe he's a, a coach of the year candidate because I just, it, we talked about all the, the craziness in the off season, unlike we've seen elsewhere. So uh, I, I am going to go under, although I think he really could, it could end up being a push, but I guess I'll say under, you got to go under somewhere. Uh, how much can he, you know, how much can he juggle Carroll? That is, I think as much as the personnel turnover, I just, I really wonder 
about these coordinator changes. And, and I, I really feel like that's maybe going to backfire on him a little bit. So I'm going on, on the Seahawks. Amen. I think that's a great way to look at it. Yes, with Russell Wilson, they have a chance to win 10 games. Uh, you know, if he gets beat up and is out of lineup, they may not win a game without him. I mean, that's that's a reality, too. So the coaching matters. I, I really believe, you know, the synthesis of, of personnel and coaching, which was unquestionably their strength. You know, I mean, that was the thing that built this dynasty up. And now you have a, a ton of questions. Is Pete Carroll going to be there beyond this season? Is he going to walk off into the sunset? Is are either of these coordinator hires, Schottenheimer or Norton, you know, qualified to do what they're hired to do? I don't know. I, I'll go set. I think I tipped my hand earlier and said seven and nine. So I'll, I'll stick with the under. You can find our win total breakdowns for all 32 teams at ProFootballWeekly.com as part of our 2018 NFL Gambling Guide series focused specifically on NFL wagering, so be sure to check those out. Guys, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Pro Football Weekly Podcast. We want to thank you all for listening this week, and we hope that you head on over to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast if you've not already done so. Also, head over to ProFootballWeekly.com, as we've said, for the best NFL news 24-7. Next week, we will be looking at the NFC South Uh, in our division breakdowns. We'll be wrapping up all of these division breakdowns as uh, teams begin uh, reporting to training camps. So be sure to watch for that. A big thanks to Umphreys McGee for the use of our theme song, Out of Order. You can find them on iTunes, so go check them out. And we want to thank you once again for listening. And for Eric at home and Arthur Arkish, I'm Dan Mott. We'll talk to you all next week. Take care, everyone. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.